2: Sam Spence Radio, Australia's dumbest podcast network.
3: Welcome to the Dear Harry slash Spock Podcast. This is a podcast where comedians read out their original fan fiction for your listening pleasure. Lads. Hello lads. My name is Ellen Waddell and I am the co-creator and host of the Dear Harry Slash Spot Comedy Night. It runs in London every other month and it's pretty cool. I think you'd like it. Coming up, we have tales of Argus Filch, Game of Thrones and indie emo pop bastards, Los Campesinos.
0: He looked up. It was Harriet from Los Campesinos. Excuse me. Are you David McIver? <laughs> Sorry. This is really embarrassing, but I'm actually a really big fan of the earnest prose poetry that you write on your Tumblr page.
3: Our first story is from Pierre Novelli. He's a comedian who co-hosts the Bud Pod podcast with Phil Wang. Because every loser has a podcast these days. All right, lads? Pierre decided to write the origin story of the Harry Potter janitor, Argus Filch.
2: Do, do we all know the janitor from Harry Potter? Yeah. Okay, because, right. Argus Filch, right? The, he's got a lantern, ah, oh, you damn kids, you know, janitor stuff. Uh, so I've written about how he became the janitor of Hogwarts, it's kind of what this is about. The year was 1955. It was the era of Elvis Presley, Rosa Parks and the Warsaw Pact and a young, cheerful Argus Filch had just finished his first year at Hogwarts. It hadn't gone amazingly. He had struggled in a lot of the classes except mathematics but he'd made so many wonderful friends and enjoyed so many near-lethal PG adventures with his friends Clementine and Bob who were smart and poor, respectively. the two-character traits. <laughs> it was in this cheerful, reflective mood that young Argus bounded up the staircase to the study of their hip, new young headmaster, Albus Dumbledore. He'd ended corporal punishment at the school and frankly treated the housepoint system with open contempt. <laughs> So Argus was looking forward to this meeting he'd been told to attend. He would have knocked, but Dumbledore had left the, uh, the door open and was busily thumbing some hash into an enormous marble bomb. <laughs> you wanted to see me, headmaster. Dumbledore jumped and dropped the hash. Oh, fuck, what? <laughs> oh, right, yeah, Filch, isn't it? Yes, sir, Argus answered politely. Dumbledore sighed and pinched his brow. Oh, I hate this part, Jesus Christ. He muttered before straightening up. Here's the deal, Filch, you're a squib. Argus had no idea what this meant, so he figured he'd better just stay still and not react. Come on, kid, you know, a squib. Still nothing, Dumbledore sighed again. You can't do magic. What? Argus balked. Yes, I can. Well, not very well, maybe, and sometimes there are small fires or mistakes, but I'm only new. Dumbledore shook his head and prodded a pile of scrolls with a jeweled pinky finger. That's not what these test results say, kid. These results say you're a squib. "'You're a kid who's got one or two magical parents, "'but you just can't do magic. "'It ain't in you. "'As far as wizarding is concerned, "'you sort of have a disability.' "'Argus was destroyed. "'He felt sick. "'What would his parents say? "'They were both magical and extremely talented at that. "'But sir, surely there's something I can do. "'What if I just work really hard?' "'Dumbledore was shaking his head again "'as he resumed thumbing the hash. (laughs) "'Surely,' Argus continued, "'surely there's something you or the school can do, "'some sort of spell. "'There's got to be something.' Something in there? Argus was gesturing desperately now to the enormous multi-story bookshelves groaning with spell books and potion manuals. Dumbledore had taken a fat draw on the bong and exhaled pink and blue smoke throughout the pleading. Look, kid, if we could just make people magical, don't you think that would ruin the whole thing? There'd be queues of desperate muggles all lining up to be made magical. So no, no, it simply can't happen. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, kid. Argus had slumped, distraught, into a magical armchair. Above him, a painting of a Victorian wizard began muttering racial slurs. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry about him. We are moving him to the basement, Dumbledore said.
1: <laughs>
2: Argus looked up. Surely, sir, please, there must be something I can do. I'm ever so good at mathematics, much better than even the most mass- magical of wizards. I have given that some thought, actually, opined Dumbledore, nodding to himself. If you like, you can live here at Hogwarts forever. Free food, no rent, as long as you're happy being the new caretaker. Caretaker, exclaimed Argus, like a janitor, a cleaner. Whoa, what's your tone, chided Dumbledore. Nothing wrong with good, honest work. Caretaker has a lot of responsibility. You have to stay over the summer holidays as well. Keep an eye on this terrifying shit heap. <laughs> uh. Dumbledore had poked a brick near his desk with the tip of the bong, and it had screamed. Can I at least keep studying maths? asked Argus, hopefully. No time for maths while you're sweeping and a mopping, boy! <laughs> Chuckled Dumbledore, his eyes twinkling. This is one huge castle. Hell, some of the rooms are imaginary. And some of them only appear when you need them, so fuck knows how you're going to mop them or whatever. I haven't even checked the basements yet, so I'm going to assume you'll be dealing with a lot of, I don't know, angry skeletons or something. Uh, There's a sort of windowless cell you can turn into your bedroom if you like. It's uh, by the sixth form toilets, the ones full of ghosts. (laughs) Argus was defeated. His terrible future lay stretched before him. He wordlessly nodded his assent. He would be the caretaker. He would take care of the whole school. He got up and slouched out of the study. Dumbledore looked up. Don't forget to... Oh, he's gone. Oh, well, whatever. Ten points to Gryffindor. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Suddenly, the cat that had been sleeping by the fire leapt into the form of a young trainee teacher, a Scottish lady called Minerva McGonagall. Excuse me, headmaster, she piped up, but do you just make that young squib the caretaker of the school? Yep, said Dumbledore, leaning back into his reclinable chair. Minerva shook her head, baffled. But surely, headmaster, all of the cleaning and dusting and polishing and mopping up liquids, these are tasks that people who can do magic accomplish in literally seconds. Whereas he will have to scrub and polish by hand and break his back laboring like a muggle. I know, said Dumbledore. As tears ran down his merry cheeks, I can hardly keep a straight face. Can you fucking believe it? He was in hysterics now, coughing richly into the fireplace. Minerva looked unamused. I don't think that's very amusing at all, she clarified. Dumbledore didn't even look up. Oh yeah? Well, go do teacher training at one of the other magic schools in the UK. Oh wait! (laughs) He was in hysterics again. Tapping his little sandals on the flagstones in mirth. I'll teach the homeschool children, Minerva shouted over the laughter. No, you won't, Dumbledore laughed back. They're all just weird. (laughs) Minerva shrank back, defeated. It was true. The homeschool kids were pretty fucking weird. She swallowed her pride and resolved to just get on with the business of the day. Headmaster, speaking of maintenance staff, have you decided on a new groundsman? The lawns are looking very unkempt and the parents have been complaining. Oh, yeah, said Dumbledore, fumbling around on his desk. I was thinking that giant kid. I mean giant, not like obese, but... Yes, yes, Minerva said. You mean Hagrid? I thought he'd been expelled. Dumbledore was getting frustrated. Do you know how much money I'm saving the school? Hiring all these idiot students to just live here and work for free. And it's a sweet deal, I'm not a bad guy. Fucking magic food and flying candles and weird booze all on tap. Dumbledore frowned as he tried to finish justifying himself. Wait, the giant kid, he's like mixed races or whatever, isn't he? Half human, half giant? Yes, and, said Minerva. Oh, we can't have him living in the school. Parents would go apeshit. You know how difficult it was to even get him in here? I had to lie and say he was on a sports scholarship. Steroids and all that, you know. (laughs) Suddenly Dumbledore brightened up. He can live out by the fucking spooky woods. (laughs) Minerva was confused. Do you mean the forbidden forest? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whatever. Said Dumbledore, waving a hand heavy with rubies. (laughs) He can build a fucking shack or a shed or something and he can mow the lawns. Won't he be lonely out there? asked Minerva. Fuck him! He can make friends with some big spiders or the boogeyman or whoever else lives there. Kid's already a weirder, that's why we expelled them, Didn't we catch him fucking a big spider? Wasn't that it? Minerva, sh- Minerva shook her head. No, sir, he was trying to raise a baby spider that he had. Dumbledore was waving his hand again. That's the end of the matter, thank you very much. Three points to uh, Hufflepuff, why not? Now, if you excuse me, I'm too high to remember what I have to do next today. Dumbledore turned and began to use the pensieve to review his diary. Minerva turned back into a cat and went out to burn off some stress by disemboweling a few rats. That's the end of how August Filch became the cleaner. Thank you.
3: You can follow Pierre on Twitter at Pierre Novelli which is spelled Pierre Novel Lie. Next up, we have a story from Ed Dore that brings together two of his favourite fictional universes, Game of Thrones and a secret second one. But what is that secret second one I hear you cry? I don't hear you. Again, I'm just recording this in my living room in a wedding dress I found on the street. Take it away, Ed.
4: Um, So I just want to get a feel for the room. Can I have a cheer for everyone who's seen Game of Thrones? Okay, that's pretty good. Can I have a cheer for everyone who's read the books? (laughs) Just what I thought. This is going to... I've lost you all already. Um, So I'll give you a bit of rundown. The fourth book is shit. It's all side characters you don't care about. So what I've decided to do is rewrite the fourth book, uh, in the same way that the writers should rewrite the last season.
3: Um,
4: and this is an example chapter. This is Brienne of Tarth, played by the wonderful Gwendoline Christie. Uh, unfortunately, she couldn't make it tonight, so <laughs> Brienne will be played by the comedian James Acaster. <coughs> East of Maidenpool, the hills rose wild, and the pines closed round them like a host of silent grey-green soldiers. Brienne, marching ahead, kept a cautious eye on the horizon. Whilst Podrick, the plump wannabe knight whose skills with a sword were as graceful as a blowjob from a crocodile, struggled over the tangled tree roots and loose rocks beneath them, they stopped for a drink by a stream. It's getting late. We shall set camp here, exclaimed Brienne. She took her saddlebag she had slung round her shoulder and launched it at Podrick. Guff! Yes, my lady, he muffled. Brienne sat on a fallen tree waiting for Podrick to start a fire. When she started to hone in on a faint rustling in the bushes next to her, she darted to her feet as quickly as someone wearing full-plate armour can, drew Oathkeeper Keeper from its scabbard. The sword Jamie Lannister, that sexy Scandy sister-banging god, had gifted her. Its blue and grey shades glittered in the sun's rays, much like Jamie Lannister's blue and grey eyes glittered every time he boned his own sister. She drew herself up to her full height, head poking through one of the ozone layer's many holes. there, she demanded. Come out and show your face. The rustling stopped. The forest stood still, and there was no sound except the gentle trickle of the stream next to the campsite. Brienne extracted her face from the stratosphere and tentatively approached the bushes. Brienne spotted a small muddied yellow ball amongst them. She was immediately put at ease. Whatever it was, it wasn't the burnt face of the hound, or a bandit with a crossbow, or worse still, Peter Dinklage attempting a British accent. No. The danger seemed to have left the air, and instead Brienne's curiosity had taken over. Taken over. She lowered her head from the treetops and parted the bush to get a closer look. The small yellow ball glowed slightly. A dragon egg, thought Brienne to herself. It has to be. Brienne took one eight-foot step forward. <laughs> she put her hands around the egg and lifted it up to inspect it. Brienne turned to show Podrick, but he was gone. He must have gone to get firewood, she thought. Just then, the egg started to shake. It glowed brighter. "'Was Brienne about to witness a dragon being born?' "'There was a faint noise, and then two rabbit-like ears appeared. "'It was furry. How had she not noticed it before? "'It wasn't an egg at all. "'The yellow furball began to get very agitated. Picapi! it shouted, (laughs) "'almost like it was trying to say, "'Fuck off me!' "'It wriggled violently, but Brienne held on, "'amazed by this creature she had never seen before. "'Brienne and the animal made eye contact. "'Then the bright red spots on its cheeks began to fizzle. Then the fizzle turned to small sparks, and then before Brienne could do anything, Pikachu! It screamed as bolts of lightning left its body and struck Brienne. She let go and was thrown ten foot, landing on her back and felling a tree in the process. Pika! pika, Pika-pee! It said, bouncing away from Brienne on its anatomically questionable legs. Before Brienne could contemplate being electrocuted by a fluorescent yellow rat, she had an overwhelming feeling of what? Love? No. What Brienne felt was what every child in 1999 felt the first time it saw it. An overwhelming sense of, that's fucking adorable, and I want one. (laughs) Two strangers suddenly emerged from the same bush the Pikachu, she called it, had come from. A woman and a man. How could she tell? The man had bright blue hair and the woman, baby pink. (laughs) 90s gender stereotypes. (laughs) Brienne rushed to her feet, still half burning, whilst Pikachu hid behind her exceptional giraffe legs. The strangers were both dressed in common grey cloth. Their shirts were printed with what appeared to be their sigil, a large red R. Brienne inhaled the earth. ''Can I help you both?'' ''You can,'' said the man. ''You can hand over that Pokémon,'' said the woman. ''For what?'' blurted Brienne. ''Don't play games with us, else there'll be trouble. Now stop playing and hand over that Pikachu.'' ''Pikapi!'' said Pikachu.'' Don't think Pikachu would like that. Besides, who are you? What house do you belong to? Both the man and the woman pulled out a strange red and white ball each and began a clearly over-rehearsed speech. (laughs) Prepare for trouble, make it double. (laughs) To protect the world from devastation, to unite all peoples within our nation, (laughs) to denounce the evils of truth and love, to extend our reach to the stars above. Jesse James! (laughs) Team Rocket, blast off at the speed of light. Surrender now or prepare to fight. The two of them threw their balls on the ground And Brienne watched in amazement As they cracked open with a beam of light Silhouetting two other strange animals The first, a large purple snake And the second, a large farting rock (laughs) (laughs) Arbok, use bite, said Jesse Arbok, (laughs) bless you, said Arbok The giant purple snake started to slither its way over to Brienne The Arbok came close Hissed and opened its jaws to reveal its huge fangs And at that moment, Oathbringer came swooping down onto the Arbok's neck. A deep red gushed from the decapitated snake's body. Its nerves sent its body into a spasm and sprayed blood everywhere. The little yellow Pikachu had turned a mottled red and a yellow mess. Do something, James! Uh, Weezing, get her! Use gas attack! shouted James. (laughs) Weezing let out an almighty plume of gas from the holes in its body, covering the area around Brienne and Pikachu. They both began to choke. "'The smell was like Carl Drogo's ballsack "'after a ten-hour horse ride had a baby "'with Sean Bean's eight-season-long rotting head. "'It was revolting. "'Brienne could do nothing. "'She lost sight of House Rocket and their wheezing. "'Without knowing why, she screamed, "'Pikachu, use thunderbolt!' "'Above them, through the clouds of shit and treetops, "'she saw clouds gather.' deep, dark grey clouds there was a roaring thunder and then a moment later another was accompanied by a (laughs) and a bright yellow thunderbolt zooming down onto the wheezing there was a flash of light turning the wheezing skin into a translucent light bulb displaying its bones beneath its eyes grew wide it cried right before its eyes exploded in a mix of pus and blood then it was over the cloud of turd gas had faded the lightning and the clouds above were gone the wheezing crashed to the floor with a squeeze. Its mangled, fried body lay there while House Rocket stood in shock. We have to get out of here, shrieked Jessie. But Pokemon can't do that to each other. Where are we, Jessie? exasperated James. "Nowhere. where we should be, sobbed Jessie. She turned to run, grabbing James's arm while she did and ran straight into Podrick's sword. It pierced its way through Jessie's abdomen and out her lower back. She gargled blood in shock before slowly collapsing to the floor, taking Podrick and his sword down with her. You could pinpoint the moment James lost his mind, the realisation he had lost everything he held dear to him. In a rush of sheer rage, he charged at Brienne. Before she could raise her sword to him, he batted it away and smacked her right in the cheek, knocking her over. Then he scrambled over to Pikachu, took its face with both hands, and squeezed his thumbs into its eyes. (laughs) ''You murdered her!'' he cried. ''This is all your fault!'' And Pikachu let out a small squeal. (laughs) ''Pikachu!'' It was too weak from the fight to defend itself. Pikachu thought to itself how innocent pop crazes were in the 90s compared to nowadays. (laughs) There was a slicing noise above Pikachu, followed by a warm river of pouring blood onto its face. Brienne pulled James off Pikachu, revealing the deep gash in his neck. Gargling, he was thrown to the ground, and Brienne sheathed her knife. She went to pick up Pikachu. This time there was no resistance. Its eyes, raw and bloody, focused on Brienne's... Pikachu, it said. <laughs> Milady, said Podrick, who recently reappeared conveniently, removed his sword from Jesse's body we should get Pikachu to a Pokemon centre. They'll be able to help him there. (laughs) And before she could ask why or how he knew what a Pokemon centre was, or in fact a Pokemon, she found herself clutching Pikachu tightly in her arms and followed Podrick into the forest. Then the ghost of Sojourner Mormont appeared above Jessie's corpse for no other reason than the narrator wanted to shoehorn his great impression (laughs) in. There's a... There's a beast in every man which stirs when you put a sword in his hand, Khaleesi. Then he fucked off. Thank you.
3: I actually once saw Kit Harrington outside a pub in East London. That's the end of the story. Tell your friends. If you would like to hire Ed Dore to impersonate James A. Castro at your kid's birthday party, then you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram. His Twitter and Instagram name is at Petrol Sponge, which is the standard spelling of Petrol Sponge. Do you know who gives good advice? Oprah. You know who else? The movies. Over the years, films have given us the best wisdom on how to survive this thing we call life. And we have compiled all that advice for you. Just in case you need a little mid show pick me up. Enjoy.
1: Carpe diem, boys. Seize the carp. Why do we fool, Master Wayne? Because we've got no legs. My mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know who your real father is. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. Or get a diary so you can work out when you aren't busy. Do or do not, there is no try. Try or try not, there is no do. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do try. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer each day, home and away. Ah, uh, Except for Tim, he's an electrician. No one puts baby in the corner. Oh, sorry, is this not a nursery? Get busy living, or I'll get busy dying. That's what we say in this dye factory. Choose life, choose a job. Choose a career, choose a family. Choose a fucking big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players and electrical tin openers. I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. Heroin.
3: I think there was something in there for everyone. Do you agree? Yeah? Yeah? It's not rhetorical. Speak to your phone. Speak to your phone now. I'm lonely. Those genuine clips were written by myself and Steve Dawson... It was performed by Charlie Kemp and Catherine Bennett Fox. Our last piece of fan fiction is actually about the band I used to be in, Los Campesinos. I guess we are the kind of band that most people haven't actually heard of. We played all over the world, Uh, we appeared on the David Letterman Show, and James Blunt even asked us to support him on tour. And we said no but we wish we'd said yes because it was actually quite a substantial amount of money. Here's comedian and writer David McIver to explain his experience of the band.
0: Ah, hello, everyone. This is very nice. Can we get a round of applause for Ellen for hosting and organising? Hello. <laughs> I'm basically just trying to win over some goodwill before I read something that's probably going to be quite embarrassing for the for the two of us. Um it was uh, since about 2009, my favorite band in the whole world have been the band Los Campesinos. Uh some of you are laughing because you know where this is going. Does anybody uh who's familiar with Los Campesinos? Yeah, yeah? just and who has never heard of them? Yeah, yeah that's fine. That's fine. You're a bunch of nerds, but that's fine. No, uh, that's totally fine. Um, all you need to know, really, for this set is that they are the best band in the world. Uh, and I, I, love them, I love them very dearly. I've seen them about 15 times uh, this year. I'm planning to get a Los Campesinos tattoo, okay? I really like Los Campesinos. <laughs> and here's a little secret. Up until about 2012, uh, the bass player in Los Campesinos uh, was our host, Ellen. Yeah? Exactly. Pretty big deal, actually. And uh, up until now, I've been playing it pretty cool. Uh, uh, I met Ellen at a scratch night. Uh, She was performing part of her play, and I really enjoyed it. I was doing comedy, and I sort of spoke to her afterwards, and she said something to the effect of, like, hello, my name is Ellen. And uh, I said, oh, nice to meet you. But in my head, I was like, I know your name is Ellen. (laughs) because I know the name of every single member who's ever been in Los Campesinos. That's 11 people in total. I had to learn every name so I could follow each one individually on Twitter. Uh, Not only that, but I have read every single blog post you've done. I know, your favourite top ten albums from the years 2000 to 2010. Uh, I even watched a YouTube video made by Cardiff University in which every single member of the band went round in a circle and said what course they did at university. Okay? And I thought that was a good use of my time. Yeah? But you you can't say that, can you? So I was like, oh, cool, nice to meet you. Uh Uh, and I've played, it, I've played it very cool, right, because uh, I have a history of uh, embarrassing myself when meeting members of the band Los Campesinos, uh, especially when I met uh, the, violinist, the violinist at the time, Harriet, at Truck Festival in 2010, right? Now, 2010 uh, was the best year of my life uh, for many reasons. I was... I was I was uh, I was 17. I fell in love for the first time uh, with my first proper girlfriend, and she hadn't even cheated on me yet. It was fantastic. Uh, I was enjoying going to sixth form, where lots of like the nastiness and the violence of school seemed to have dissipated. And you know, I had like really nice friends who were good people who didn't cyberbully me over World of Warcraft like my old friends. So I was absolutely smashing it, guys. And best of all, I got to see my favourite band, Los Campesinos, uh, perform twice in one summer. Okay, it was it was brilliant. Um, So one of those times was at Truck Festival, 2010, right? uh, In my hometown in Oxfordshire. It was brilliant. I went with my friends and my girlfriend. Uh, I had a lovely time. Um, And I was having so much fun at the time. Uh, I was quite giddy, quite excited. And I was wearing, um, the nights got quite cold and I was wearing a jumper with a wolf on it, right? Because uh, every single 17-year-old boy who likes indie music in 2010 was wearing a jumper that had a wolf on it. Yeah, I don't know why, uh, maybe it's because we travel in packs, uh, or we all dated girls who talked a lot about the moon, uh, I don't know, I don't know, but uh, I was wearing my wolf jumper and I was doing this thing, uh, where I, whenever anyone mentioned anything about it, I'd say, uh, I'm a wolf,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it wasn't very funny, A I uh, got a lot of eye rolls, uh, which I mistook for laughter, A mistake I still make to this day. So so I was at Truck Festival 2010 and I was in the queue for the toilets and I spot Harriet, the violinist from Los Campesinos. Brilliant. I say, uh, hello, I'm a big fan of your band. I'm really looking forward to your set tomorrow. Um, Can we get a picture? She says, yeah, great, we take a picture. And then she says, uh, oh, I like your jumper. (laughs) And I go, thanks, I'm a wolf. Roar! And the silence between us was p- pretty gaping. Uh, it seemed to last for an age, and then eventually one of the toilets became free, and she, she went to a festival, port-a-loo to get away from the stink I'd created. So, this is a. Uh, I found it quite embarrassing. That's not how I wanted it to happen. So, basically, I've, re- I've rewritten history with a piece of fan fiction which blends my two favorite things uh, Los Campesinos and My Life in 2010. Okay? <laughs> It's called Knee Deep at Truck Festival, which is a reference none of you will get. OK. <laughs> Here we go. It was a cool night at Truck Festival. The day had been hot and cloudless and now the sun had set, now the sun had set and the air was so crisp you could eat it in a sandwich. <laughs> the queue for the toilets was long and spread all the way back to the tents that sold hemp shirts and hair braids and goose pimples pricked the legs of teens in cut-off skinny jeans and Wellington boots. As usual, David was dressed both fashionably and practically. He was wearing a thick black jumper with a wolf printed on it, acquired from H&M on his 17th birthday. Looking at him, one would think the words H&M stood for handsome and majestic. And, And not some rubbish Swedish words instead. And of all the 30 to 40 teenage boys at the festival who were semi-ironically wearing jumpers depicting wild animals, he was semi-ironically wearing his the best. (laughs) Excuse me, he heard a shy, tentative voice slither into his nice ears. (laughs) He looked up. It was Harriet from Los Campesinos. Excuse me, are you David McIver? (laughs) Sorry, this is really embarrassing, but I'm actually a really big fan of the earnest prose poetry that you write on your Tumblr page. Uh, I think you could be the next Pablo Neruda. Sorry, I'm sure you get that all the time. Yes, I do get that all the time, replied David. But thank you, that means a lot, especially coming from someone who studied English literature at Cardiff University. (laughs) "'Oh, but how did you know?' started Harriet. <laughs> "'I'm a Campesino's head,' said David. "'Harriet blushed. "'She couldn't believe this great poet was a fan of her band.' "'She didn't know what to say. "'I like your jumper.' <laughs> Raw, I'm a wolf,' said David. "'And Harriet laughed and laughed and laughed. "'She laughed harder than she'd ever laughed before.' It was a great joke and a fun thing to say. (laughs) You're funny. You should become a semi-professional comedian. (laughs) I bet there are comedy clubs in London that would pay up to £30 for that kind of wit. Could I get your phone number? I'd love to hear some more of your classic jokes. (laughs) Sure, said David, but I have a girlfriend, so don't get getting any ideas. (laughs) She definitely really loves me, and I feel in no way threatened by the growing closeness between her and my most handsome friend. (laughs) David rejoined his friends and his girlfriend, who was in the middle of saying something about the moon. David didn't relay this anecdote of meeting Harriet outside the toilets. He didn't need to because his teenage years were full of stories like this in which he had totally comfortable and not awkward encounters with other human beings that made him feel totally normal. (laughs) Uh, Him and his friends stayed up late wandering around the campsite drinking cans of Fosters, staggering over guy ropes and bumping into strangers. Eventually they fell into their tents and, if they were cool enough to have a girlfriend like David was, they had terrible sex and went to sleep. (laughs) The next day at the festival passed fairly normally until David received a phone call. It was Harriet. (laughs) David, something terrible has happened, Harriet said, her voice panicked and afraid. Both Gareth, the lead vocalist, and Tom, the lead guitarist, have been up vomiting all night. I think they got food poisoning from one of the burger stalls. It looks like we're not going to be able to play our set later. Unless... (laughs) David, could you play lead guitar and sing main vocals in Los Campesinos tonight? <laughs> sure, said David casually. I could help you guys out. It was 6 p.m., and the members of Los Campesinos were on stage, ready to perform. But David was nowhere to be seen. Where is he? asked Neil, the rhythm guitarist. <laughs> Who is this fucking cunt anyway? said Ellen, the bassist. <laughs> Don't worry, smiled Harriet. He'll show up. And sure enough, starting at the back of the crowd and walking through them, parting teenagers like a young Moses opening up an adolescent sea, was David carrying a red Fender Stratocaster imitation guitar that his mum bought him from Argos. (laughs) Sorry I'm late, he said coolly. I had to nip home and fetch my axe. The crowd erupted with applause. They weren't even upset that the main singer of the band had been replaced with a boy. (laughs) If anything, they were glad. (laughs) This baby really shreds, said David, referring to his guitar. Just don't ask me to play anything that requires the top two frets on the bottom two strings uh, because they don't work. (laughs) And so Los Campesinos, with new vocalist and lead guitarist David McIver at the helm, played the best set they'd ever played. <laughs> Even though before this gig, David had only ever learned how to play smoke on the water, <laughs> his natural ability, his intuitive ear for music, and his confidence under pressure meant he played every song perfectly. <laughs> Apart from the songs he couldn't play because his guitar made a terrible sound on those bottom two frets. Um, oh, pardon me. After the gig, the members of Los Campesinos crowded around David and begged him to join the band permanently. Even Gareth and Tom wanted him to join, even though it would mean they were out of the band. Because they thought it would be a crime to deprive indie music of such greatness. But David said no, because although he definitely had the talent, he was just happier being a fan. Everyone was waiting for David when he came out of the backstage area. His girlfriend gave him a big hug and told him his performance was so amazing that she was no longer going to cheat on him at Lucy Horrocks' 18th birthday party with one of his closest friends in the room next door to where he was sleeping. And all of his old friends from school were there. They had been watching the whole time, and they apologized for cyberbullying him on World of Warcraft. <laughs> and then bizarrely, David's dad came out of the crowd, gave him a big thumbs up, mouthed the words, "I'm proud of you." <laughs> before disappearing so David could spend time with his friends. <laughs> and that night truck festival, 2010, never ended. David stayed 17 forever) and wandered around the campsite drinking cans of Foster's with his friends for eternity until the twangs of guy ropes sounded like harp strings and every drunken stranger was an angel keeping them safe. It's been lovely. Thank you very much. Cheers.
3: Thank you, David. Remind me that once I was young and cool and fertile. Um... (laughs) You can follow David on Twitter at https: colon forward slash forward slash twitter. forward slash big David McIver. That's M C I V E R. Ah, oh, that's it for another week. Thank you for coming to our podcast, guys. Uh, we hope you enjoyed your stay. Please review us on TripAdvisor and iTunes and give us five stars. It really does help our fragile little egos. You can follow Dear Harry on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Is basically slash dear Harry Spock on everything. And you can follow me at Ellen Starbuck. And yes, Starbuck is named after the greatest character in television, Cara and not the coffee company. But uh, if the coffee company does want to sponsor us, we'll be happy to take that endorsement. Dear Harry Slash Spot was presented by me, Ellen Waddell, and it was produced and engineered by Steve Dawson. He's got a Twitter, but I'm not going to tell you it. I don't actually hear you because, again, I am just recording this in my living room in a wedding dress I found on the street. In a wedding dress I pulled out of a bin. In a wedding dress I stole from my mum. Take it away, Ed.